You're listening to a bonus episode of the Accounting Influencers Podcast, Talent in Accounting, with Rob Brown. This is your access to world-class accounting leaders, global influencers, and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world-class. Welcome to this talent special for the Accounting Influencers Podcast. Thrilled to have with me back again, Mark Fritz, leadership expert to the stars. Good day, Mark. Hey, good day to you. Mark, you've been in this leadership game a long time. We did an episode just recently where we talked about ownership, micromanaging. Do you want to just highlight that episode for us with a couple of key points that came out? And we'll put the link to that show in our show notes. Yeah, I, I think the key thing is that we, we really need to get our people to feel it's theirs and feel the achievement is theirs, not just the activity. One thing I didn't mention in the last episode, I think, is, you know, micromanagement comes with a speed limit. <laughs> when you micromanage people, you're operating to your head capacity to keep everything straight to tell people what to do. So I think the leaders, really, they use the heads of their people, and they're really getting their people to own the outcomes, own the achievement, and they're coaching them along the way, right? If you're always telling people what to do and, and they're stuck on something, they have to wait till you're around and then you become the speed of your business. So I think, um, you know, we're much more, uh, as a leader, we should be much more an enabler uh, than a teller. We should be us much more asking, coaching, more like an orchestra conductor to get the best from, from our whole team in order to achieve. And basically the focus these days should be to create the future faster. Well, we've got 31,000 unique listeners to this show in 150 countries. They are mostly accounting professionals, leaders in networks, firms, and in the FinTech industry that supplies and advises that accounting profession. You've advised a lot of different sectors. Are accountants, professional services people any different to anywhere else you've seen? Well, I, I think, you know, in terms of, you know, how you, the different businesses all have their different, uh, how would you say, different value propositions and so forth. But I think services businesses, in my mind, is, is um, it's about really creating the right experience for people. If you're giving advice, you're giving specific service. It's how people feel about the service, not necessarily what they experience or the details. So I found, uh, I think I might have mentioned last time, but you know, it, it's really around creating the right context around the service that you provide. And it's the, creating the feeling, the impression of, of how that service was to them. What have you made of the great resignation in COVID times? We're emerging from the pandemic now, but people have realigned, recalibrated their lives, began to ask themselves, is this worth it? Striving for work-life balance, mental well-being. What's been your take on it, Omar? I think uh, my take on it is very interesting. I think we're moving away from a term of work-life balance. And we're moving to more of work-life integration. Okay. Because, <laughs> we, you know, the, the pandemic drove us now when we were working at home, how we could integrate both the work and our home life that way. And a lot of people said, hey, this, this works pretty well. But now if I have to be in the office eight hours and I don't have that extra flexibility. So I think uh, the, it's somewhere in between, which is optimal for companies. I think you need to bring people together to drive the right teamwork. But you have to allow people the flexibility to integrate their life in the best way for where their life is then at this point, right? If you have children very young age, you have to have a different flexibility of time of all the things you need to do. So I think, I think it's 
everybody's looking for the right work-life integration that's going to get the best from both sides of their life. What we do know in accounting and finance is they've taken a major hit in a depletion of the talent pool. We know that there are less people coming into accounting as a career choice, as a degree choice. And we know that people are leeching from the accounting profession to go into industry and commerce and fintech and everything else. So in some respects, the profession has an image problem. How do we make a certain career path attractive. You talked earlier about an experience. I guess you mean a story to buy into. That's part of it, isn't it? Yeah, a story to buy into is part of it. I think what I found over the years is is um, I really got the best of my people and they put a lot of themselves into something when I was helping them use their potential. So it's always helping them with opportunities that they're going to keep growing. And I think it, we just can't be sort of leveraging them and sort of getting the work done but we also have to put alongside them something that's going to constantly make them grow. So I think how we structure our roles should have some freedom for areas for them to grow. And, and what I found in, in business is everybody has a day job to do, but we always need to improve. When you involve people in projects for improvement, you're adding something where they get to grow faster. They get to involve, they have to talk with more people across the company more to get things done. And I found they, they tend to look at their day job with, a, with shinier eyes because they got to do these other things too. I'm working with a firm currently out of North Carolina in the United States called BRC. And they are very good, not just at developing people professionally, but developing people personally. And everybody in this firm, and there's over 100 people, have an answer to the question, how has BRC made you a better person? Great. That's fantastic. You know, look at another way, right? If, if I was... They ask anybody in a, in a leading a company and say, can your people grow fast enough based on only company provided training? And they'll all say no, which means our goal as a leader is to encourage our people to do their own self-development. And I think if we can enable that, encourage it, light the fire below people on that, they're going to keep growing. And, and they're going to understand where this energy came from. It came from the company and their boss. That's an interesting point, Mark, because when you ask perhaps the younger generation what they want from a job, they want to be developed professionally. So they want opportunities to develop and positions of responsibility they can taste and try. But they also want their hands on the steering wheel of their own career and their own professional development. So it's, it is striking a balance. It's a, it's a balance. And it's like anything, you know, uh, we, we never feel powerful. We never feel that we're in the driver's seat if we don't have choice, right? So I think another thing we need to do is we need to provide people choices because everybody doesn't develop the same way. But if we give them opportunities for different ways of developing, different ways of doing their own personal development, different types of project or initiatives that match something that they would like, I think that's really key. So it's really to think it through and have all these options available so when you're listening to your people, you know which one would be best for them and you're matching it, right? So there's no one size fits all of leadership or development. It's a matter of having the different options available that you can tailor to, to what, people, uh, what people really want. It's like in the olden days when the, the, the big companies went away from the set of dictated options. So now you can choose the benefits you want that match your situation. It's the same. Whenever we don't give people choice, people feel they're not in the driver's seat, they're in the passenger seat. And the old business model of you can make partner if you allow us to chain you to a desk for 10 or 15 years and churn out 
thousands of billable hours, that's not attractive anymore. No, no and I, I think what we need to do also is, is we, we need to use our creativity on the basic day-to-day -day things and how can we do it differently? And, you know, that we, for two things, one, it can be more productive and effective, but second, can we frame roles in such a way that it's going to be interesting to do? One of the phrases that has become fashionable in recent years is employer brand. We know about corporate brand. You think of Nike and Coca-Cola and these people that have pumped billions into their brand. So everybody knows who they are. When it comes to accounting practices, CPA firms, it's very hard to put a thin piece of paper between them. Their websites look similar. Their value proposition is similar. So corporate brand and attracting clients, that in and of itself is difficult. But when you come to employer brand, this is what makes us a different and better or good place to work. So we know that phrase is fashionable. What in your view makes an organization, a company, a firm, a good place to work? For me is, is that you're in an environment where you're, you're constantly learning and growing. And, and, you know, it's not that it's going to be without challenges, but that you're always supported going through those challenges as well. I think that's, that's really key. I, I think, you know, the foundation of both employees and the foundation of working with customers, everybody wants to have the feeling that, you know, you understand me or I'm understood. <laughs> so when you create that feeling, so if you create an environment where people are constantly helping each other, that's the kind of support, that's the kind of workplace that you want in that way. When you're dealing with clients, basically they need to come away and have that feeling that you understand their business. You, you understand what they need the most from you. And I think it's that feeling which frames everything else you do for them. I'm reading a book at the moment by Matthew Syed, former international table tennis player for the United Kingdom, wonderful writer. It's called Rebel Ideas, The Power of Diverse Thinking. His opening story in the book is about 9-11 and how everybody should have seen this coming. But the problem was that in the CIA and the FBI and everyone else that was looking at this, there was such a homogenization of thought. Everyone was white and male and thinking the same way and coming from the same Ivy League schools. It leads me to my question on diversity. We hear DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. Accessibility is another A that's added to the end of that word. It's changing the workplace and it's rising to prominence as important in an employer brand because people are asking you, how do you practice DEI? Absolutely. I, I think, uh, you know, diversity, all that is, is um, you need that to come up with better solutions. And not just diversity of gender and... No. and uh, sexual orientation and culture and working class, but just diversity of thinking. You need to hire really different people. In other words, I can tell a, a poor leader immediately by looking at the leadership team around them because they've hired people that are exactly like you. You got to have very, very different people, which means you, you have, as a leader, you're more an orchestra conductor. You're trying to blend all these ideas and getting everybody to talk. I think there's, there's a couple of things I found that make, make a team powerful in order to come up with great solutions. First is you have to have high, very, very high di diversity, right? But also you can't allow spectators because sometimes the quiet people, they have some good ideas, but sometimes they have some ideas that trigger even bigger ideas. So I found that the very best teams, everybody is engaging. They don't allow spectators in there. Now, it's harder for a leader because the leader has to facilitate, really pay attention and really draw out the right uh, ideas from everybody and, and, you know, and, and, and try to facilitate uh, alignment and so forth. But I'll tell you, it's much easier to facilitate once the ideas are out 
than to not have the ideas there at all. We know the stats on the changing demographic of the world, Mark, and how, say, in 2030, most people in business will be the millennials, the Gen Zs, the Gen Ys, the younger, the baby boomers are retiring and moving on. So the way in which professional firms are being run is different. What's your experience of generational gaps and how that applies to leadership and talent? Well, I, I think for sure the the, the younger people are, are very, very impatient and, and they want to have some things happening in their career all the time. I think a bigger thing that I'm seeing in terms of, of the talent pool for the future is it's just going to be naturally more diverse and so forth because the, the world is much smaller. <laughs> people are moving around, living in different places. We're now with the technology, we know that we don't have to have everybody physically in our own country sometimes to get things done and so forth. We can leverage talent wherever it is. So I think we're just going to be naturally much more um, a diverse working environment. Uh, and I think, you know, we, we're going to have to, to, how would you say, structure our workplaces more towards the younger people than the older people now which might disappoint some of the older people. But that's the problem because the people that are leading the firms <laughs> haven't got the mindset change as to how we need to support the younger people. We interviewed Will Farnell recently. He's the owner of Farnell Clark, the first digital accountancy firm here in the UK. That was back in 2008. He's just written a follow-up book to the digital firm called The Human Firm. And in it, he said, millennials, Gen Z and Gen Alpha will form over 75% of the workforce and a sizable proportion of clients by 2025. They bring different expectations, lifestyle priorities, and attitudes to work and life that cannot be met by traditional firms. What 30-year-old entrepreneur wants to be advised by a 55, 60-year-old accountant, especially if their entrepreneur is female and black and lesbian, and the accountant's white, straight, and old. It's, 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 it's going to be a different world. It's a different world. I think in all the developing areas of the world right now, I think at least 60% of the population is under 25, right? So it, 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 it's, it's going to be a totally different one. I, I think, you know, what I found, it's not age sometimes that is the problem. It's the mindset and the willing to listen and learn. Because I've seen some people in their 50s or 60s engage very well because they, they come to work with a mindset that they're going to be constantly learning. It's not that I know the answer, now I'm going to share it. But, you know, they're thinking, hey, I don't know everything, but my job is to not know everything. My job is to get this achieved and so forth. Why do people leave jobs, Mark? Hey, if you ask anybody, it's usually because they're of, of a boss or they're not growing or they just don't fit within the way the culture of that company is is working. The presumably correct answer to that then, if they want to leave, is go because loyalty is at a premium now. People don't stick around. They don't want a job for 40, 50 years. They want a portfolio of careers and they don't stick around. And, and I'm not going at the snowflake generation. This is everyone these days. We hear a lot of movement in accounting firms. Those lateral senior hires, strategic hires at the top end, senior partners are moving firms and moving on. So it's a very fluid labor market and people, if they're not happy, will vote with their feet. Well, look at it another way. You know, it sounds like a strange analogy, but, you know, always like shelf life of milk. You know, how many days can you have milk in the refrigerator? The key thing is how many years do you want someone in your company? I'd rather have a superstar for three years than an average person for eight because the superstar will create people around them, will be a role model for others and things like this. 
So I think the expectation that people will be with you for a number of years that they were before is no longer there. I think we have to, to think about how we utilize people in better ways and understand it's just not their work. It's, it's the impact that a very good person makes on everybody around them. It's huge. If we get to a point, Mark, where there are less qualified accountants, what should be the hiring policy of accounting firms that have capacity issues? They want to serve the clients in the best ways. Do we see the AI and the, the robots and the automation coming into play? Do we see outsourcing and offshoring? Do we see accounting firms hiring software and tech specialists and then leaving the advisory and the people stuff to someone else. What's the future? I tell you, it's interesting because I was talking to someone the other day. If you think about it with the accountancy, everything comes where you enable providing the right advice and the right service to your people. Yeah. So you should have your best people there equipped with the, the best, you know, uh, communication, influencing skills, et cetera. And then the question is, what is it that we need the need that feeds that, that allows them to do that. In other words, I was talking to someone and, and, I, and we, we were talking about it and saying, this particular service, we need to get the information collected and we need a system to do that. But that's not the full value of it. It's what is the, the decisions we make about that information and how does that information have to be available for making the right decisions? So I think uh, what I found is the most important people in a company are the pivot people, the people that have to look to the customer and what do you have to do for the customer and the people have to look back and getting the right information or, or service for the customer because they trading off what has to be done. So I, I think of look, I think of a different way. I'm not thinking about ground up. I'm thinking about who are the key people in the business and how do we organize to support them with the right information at the right time? And what is the most efficient way to do that? And you speak in there about succession planning and retention, keeping hold of your good people. Any tips around that? Well, you know, I, I, I think the key thing is, is make them feel they're, they're a critical part of it. Uh, in a very small firm, there should be maybe in terms of ownership or, or stock. That's a symbolic one, but it's always there. But uh, I think about how you include these key people in decision making. You know, it comes back to, you know, if you come back to the end of the year and, and if you ask you can ask yourself, now in my job, was I spending more time in the passenger seat or the driver's seat? You know, did I have that choice? Your very best people, they want to stay more in the driver's seat. Are there any particular attributes leaders, owners should look for when hiring for their firms? I'll tell you, I, I really think it comes down to, to two key things and you can add a third, but I think you need to hire for people who possess good judgment and great influencing skills. And, and, and in fact, there's, there's basically three things I found that very good people and very good leaders have. First is they can handle ambiguity. In other words, it's our job to create clarity, to drive action and those things. The second thing is they can handle dilemmas because the biggest decision makings are not solving problems. They're around managing a dilemma. Take the pandemic. The pandemic required lots of problems to solve, but the biggest dilemma was health of the nation versus health of the economy, right? And then, you know, the third thing is, is the conflict. You know, you have to be able to handle conflict and work through it and embrace it versus avoid it, which means you have to have good influencing skills. So the key things I am always searching for, uh, and when I'm when I'm when I'm sharing things with people and looking out and helping them get the right people, is good judgment and good influencing skills. Because you think about it, without those they're an individual contributor. With those, they can influence others and they can be much more than an individual contributor. What you're talking about there though is stuff that can't be learned from a YouTube video or an ebook. 
or a podcast, they say that experience is the comb that life gives you after you've gone bald. So you, you've got to go down that path, go down that road. You've got to make some mistakes. You've got to get some cuts and bruises and scars to develop that judgment and that influence that you're talking about. Well, you can, you can ask some questions. You have to give people scenarios in an interview and really listen to it. But if you think about it, you, you grow your judgment based on your own experiences, but you grow your judgment on leveraging the life experiences of others. You know, why does the Marines have a required reading list for every level of the Marines? <laughs> because history repeats itself if you if you if you grow that so if you have someone who's never doing personal development their judgment just won't stay strong it won't grow because they're they're they're, they're trying to base only on their own life experiences one of the things we hear from the talent market is that when they join an accounting firm and they like all of us struggle to differentiate between one value proposition and another is a vision i can buy into a culture i can be a part of what makes a good culture in a firm and, and even a vision that might shape that culture model. For me, uh, I define culture as shared expectations. It's shared expectations of what we want to achieve together and the impact we want to make together and the shared expectations about how we want to behave with each other. So I found in the best companies is they have that impact, the why behind it, where we're going, what do we want to achieve? And it's shared. But the other thing is, is the culture. And a lot of times people have their values on a website and everything, but a value is a non-word. Let's say you have trust as a value. You can't see trust. You can only see the behaviors that demonstrate trust. So I found that the very best companies, they discuss the behaviors they'd like to see each, with each other and, the, and the, the leaders are reinforcing it, right? I think a great question, I had this the other day with someone, a great question is this, what are you tolerating? <laughs> right? Because it's probably the behaviors that are not in line with your, your culture. But, you know, the more you tolerate it, the more the culture is maybe going the wrong way. But I, I think the key word is, is shared. And as, as you say, it's the impact you're making or how we're going to behave with each other. What can we expect from each other? And I'm glad you mentioned the ability to navigate through ambiguity. We've become familiar with the term VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity, and best practices out of the window. because what worked last year won't necessarily work this year. We can't make five-year plans now. We've got to make 90-day plans because the environment is changing so much. And that agility and adaptability of people at all levels of a professional organization is critical. I mean, I think you really hit it there. You know, our our, um, our planning cycles have to be much shorter. And, and we have to align on those things. I remember a CEO said that he worked with his top sales director and every quarter they, they agreed on their top three priorities. I think there has to be an agreement on priorities on more of 60 to 90 day cycles versus longer cycles that way too. I, I think the biggest thing is um, focus, right? Ambiguity uh, means that you, you're not going to be focused if you can't handle it. And, and the key thing of focus is focus is not about addition. Focus is about subtraction. You have to say no to something. And in fact, I think here's what I found with very good leaders. Uh, the ones that can't handle ambiguity, they try to do all the good and it's impossible to get all the good stuff done. The very good leaders can choose between great and good. And they have the courage to say no to some good in order to put the right resources on the great because it's the great which creates the future faster. It sounds like you're quoting John Maxwell who said, say no to the good so you can say yes to the great. Exactly. It's exactly, the, it, what I found is it is, you know, unless you're saying no, you're not focused. Focus is about subtraction. Mark, you've got some terrific resources at Mark Fritz online. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, just give people a flavor of the kind of things on that site. Well, you know, I, I have a, a download that you can download some uh, 
some a, a daily reminders web app so you can be reminded of, of doing the right things and so forth around leadership. You know, it's interesting. What I found is this: you come, people come out of a training, they say, "Well, I already knew that," <laughs> but some of them do it, but only a few do it consistently. So I think you know that's the reminders are there to help you remind you to do it consistently. And then later this year, I'm coming out with a with an ownership leader type of online type of training that can help you sort of self-development in your own leadership as well. This has been great, Mark. Leave us with a few words of encouragement, almost a call to arms, if you like, for the leaders out there and want to be leaders in the accounting organizations listening, watching this. How can they attract, retain, develop the best talent so they can hit all of their growth targets and beyond? I think the, the biggest thing is is uh, invest more time in asking versus telling and listening to your people, uh, you know, be more a coach. They're going to feel that they're more needed, they're more involved, they're more understood, and they're going to drive it forward. And But I think the thing is, be very, very clear on your expectations, right? Your people cannot hit a target they do not have or they do not clearly have. So what I found is, is, is the keys, the twins are being very clear on your expectations in terms of what we need to achieve and then sit back and ask the right questions and listen so that they're owning the path towards it as well. Mark Fritz, brilliant. Thanks again for your time today. Wonderful. Yeah, it was great. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. 